gentlemen, welcome to Sports Reports as Ordered. I am your co-host, Mike Wilson, sitting here along with my guy, Raphael Rutley. What's going on? We're going to come to you today. We're going to give you some playoff predictions for Wild Card Weekend. You'll get the Super Bowl picks and all that later. You know, I'm the type that's going to go back and look and see who won. So if I pick my Super Bowl pick today, I don't want y'all calling me a flip-flopper. Outside of that, we're going to talk about the plight of the black coach, and then we're going to talk about things that we need to get off our chest. So, Raph, what you got, man? What's going on? Hey, man, just chilling. Just uh, excited to get this going. You know, I got my retirement certificates back there, so it's like might as well transition to something new. All right. All right. Let's get that. Let's get that video going, because I don't see you no more. That's when I'm on the same. I'm on the same boat. Like, let me hit this button and see what's good. Yeah. I don't see you yeah. either. All right. I'll oh, it. Okay. Back on. Here we go. Now I see you. All right. Now you do the same thing. All right. Hold on. Let's see here. Boom. I just turn the video off, turn it back on. There it is. Look All at right. Us. There we go. There we go. We in the building. I'm seeing a couple of vets drinking beers. Cheers. That's right. Cheers. 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 You know, so first things first, you know, like um, we got to introduce ourselves to people. They know our names now. You know, so what brought you to the podcast world? Podcast world. I just figured, man, I watch a lot of these podcasts on television, a lot of sports talk shows, spend a lot of time conversing with people about sports. And I just wanted to talk to somebody that, you know, I felt like actually cared about the sport more than the ratings. You know, so conversations with, you know, authentic people and having just real genuine conversations. I mean, like, that's that's key. That's key to the existence. You can do everything you want, but if you don't have, like, good social con- contact with people, I think sports is a, a microcosm of how we can merge social issues, how we can merge our differences, and just kind of just either have, like, a great debate or we can join. Like, I might walk through a supermarket today with this Atlanta Falcons hat and jersey on, and I might see a Saints fan. They might say something, yeah, maybe we got y'all the last time. <laughs> and we have a little, we chopping up a little bit in the in the bread aisle, but... You know, in the same sense, someone could come to me with a Falcons version. I'm like, yeah, what's going on with the coach? What's going on with this? Right, and right. People are like, are you from Atlanta? I'm like, nah, not from Atlanta. Deion Sanders is my favorite player. So I'm like, oh, you like Deion? Oh, man, I love Deion. I think he's going to do a great job in Colorado. Now you have this dialogue that you wouldn't have without, uh, you know, these emblems that we have. So, you know, I just want to do that. And then, like I said, me and you have just hours and hours of unrecorded, you know, conversations. So I was like, man, let's go ahead. We both retired. We both served our country for over 20 years, trying to get something back. So it's like, you know, let's let's give back to ourselves and just document, you know, these times yep. that we. Yeah, for sure. And you've heard me say this before. You know, we just talk about sports in a little different way than I have conversations with other people. Like it's easy to get into the like, hey, this guy choked or this guy did this or this guy did that, but you know, we like to get a little deeper as far as this is why this happened or these are the numbers. This is why you shouldn't have expected that this was going to work. Those type of things. And giving back is a big thing for me, you know, especially with the point you made about being a microcosm of society and everything like sports brings us together. Even when we're divided, DeMar Hamlin is an example of that. You know, like I live in San Antonio, so cowboy fans everywhere, you know, sometimes I walk down the street, I see a cowboy Jersey and I tell them, Hey, you know, we not in Dallas, right? (laughs) <laughs> you know, we have those conversations, but when that stuff happens, you know, you kind of just give a nod, you kind of give a, 
hey, man, that sucks. Or, you know, you just kind of relate a little bit, you know. So when we talk, I enjoy it. And, you know, I've realized that I already knew sports was a passion, but I didn't realize how much this was a passion, you know, as far as actually talking about it, debating it on a level that other people can get involved, you know, because that's what it's all about, bringing people together. Exactly. You know? we're, we're 17, 1800 miles apart right now, but yet. Yep. And, and, you know, for y'all out there and for y'all out there, we usually do this two to three times a week, like just on the phone, going back and forth. Why did John Harbaugh go for that fourth down? Because Buffalo was going to score anyway. You and don't they, know that. You know? Just, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we've had we've hashed that out. Yes. Yes. But just for the record, I was team go for it. You know, he was team take the points. You know, it happens. <laughs> Everyone but, disagree, which is which is way better than sitting around with a bunch of people who always agree with you. Yes, you know. So our plan can learn that way. So our plan is to give you exclusive content two times a week. You know, we're gonna follow this up during NBA season. We're gonna talk about NFL today, but we are not an NFL show. We're gonna talk to you about sports, sports in general. As I said, the title is Sports Reports as Order. So, with that being said, I'm ready to talk some playoffs. Let's talk these playoffs. These playoffs. Teams, but we know that's neither here nor there. They've already made the decision. Not a big fan of 17 games. I don't like odd numbers. Uh, So, we have in order San Francisco, Seattle. All right. What do you got? So, I did some thinking about this, probably more thinking than I had any business doing. You know, the correct answer is San Francisco. Like, I have no reason to pick Seattle at all. I have numbers. I have things that, you know, maybe Seattle has a slight chance, but then when I peel it back, they don't. So, for example, um, since 2011, rookie quarterbacks have gone 3-9 and in the playoffs. And then you have 9-8 and since 1983 with a whole lot of Mark Sanchez in there because, you know, he won the two playoff games, got to the AFC title game, that kind of thing. But football is the ultimate team sport. So that's where we get into the Brock Purdy thing where the rookie numbers don't necessarily sit well for him, but he has that defense. And a lot of rookies don't necessarily have that defense. So I said, what is the X factor in this game? So what I came up with, the Seattle Seahawks, when they rush for 75 yards this season, they are 9-3. and three. If they don't, they are 0 and 5. 0 for, I said, 0 for. With that being said, five yards. Yes, with that being said, the 49ers give up 77.7 rush yards a game. <laughs> so something's got to give. Something's got to give. And what's even more interesting about that side note, real quick, is that the next team, because San Francisco's number one in the league, the next team is around 110 yards per game. So San Francisco really stops the run, you know, just to give you some clarity. So I said, hey, what can Seattle do? And I came up with three things. One, Geno Smith has to channel West Virginia Geno Smith. He needs to dig in there and get that guy that will take off and run and doesn't care if he gets hit, whatever the case may be. To offset San Francisco's defense, you got to play judo. Use their energy against them. They get aggressive. You hit them with a screen. Maybe you hit them with a counter. You hit them with some traps. 
And then third, Kenneth Walker has to play because if they're going to run the ball, he has to play. And last I checked, he hadn't practiced yet this week with an ankle injury. So let's break that down just for a quick second, and then it's all yours. So I looked at it. Screenplays. The Seattle Seahawks average 2.9 yards per screenplay. San Francisco wins this game. I got it about 19 to 10 because I feel that Brock Purdy, they're going to keep it close to the vest. They don't need to be explosive. They don't need to take chances. Just get down the field, put some points on the board, and dare Seattle to score against you. So you got 19 10. 19 to 10. They're averaging, only giving up seven, seven yards rushing. You do have a stud wide receiver, but that's not part of Seattle's identity. I got him. I got it 24-7 San Francisco simply because San Francisco's running game and even their passing game is just an extension of the running game. So mm-hmm. Brock Purdy is throwing slip screens, the Debo Samuel package, or it's Kittle in the middle of the field, one-on-one with a linebacker, or one-on-one with a safety. Kittle has seven touchdowns since Purdy started playing. He had like 10 the previous two seasons before. Two of those touchdowns right here. Yo, he got <laughs> he got a couple early against, I forgot what game it was, but it was like, I think it was like Purdy's second game. It was like, oh, I think it was the Raiders. Mm-hmm. They, and he just was running wide over the middle of the field. So, Shanahan should have learned his lesson from a couple of his playoff games, mainly his Super Bowl performances. Like, yeah, just run the ball. Like I said, Chris McCaffrey, um, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk running a little bubble screen, those little touch passes, little flare passes, flat passes, and then Kittle in the middle of the field, play good, tough defense. Geno's going to give you a couple of opportunities to take the ball away just because he's going to have to. When they're down 10-0, you can't just keep running the ball. San Francisco's right. tough in the run. They get down 10-0. He's going to have to take a shot. Everyone knows that shot's going to go to Metcalf. And you just, you just play it accordingly. I think I think D'Amico Ryans, who's probably a head coaching candidate, I don't know what team he would go to, but he's head coach candidate, defense coordinator for San Francisco. He's going to have it on lock. So even right. with the rookie quarterback, he'll get the same kind of Mark Chan- Sanchez. He'll throw like 25 passes. But most of them, eight of them be more than 10 mm-hmm. yards. So, yeah, I got San Francisco easy in that 124-7. Yeah, and, and preview for later, D'Amico, do not go to Houston. Do not go to Houston. Easy. I mean, come on home. You play there, come on home. I know, but. Ah. <laughs> Bad job. But we'll get to that in our next segment. All right, you got Jacksonville. This is where, uh, where you got. You got Jacksonville. Um, yeah, so I got Jacksonville, um, something around 24 to 21. So first of all, I want to say throw week three out of the window. So Jacksonville in week three crushed L.A., San Diego, L.A., 38 to 10. Justin Herbert was injured. You know, he played, but, you know, he had a rib injury going on. I believe, if I remember correctly, that Keenan oh, Allen got hurt. That game. You know, so throw that game out the window. For me, for me, what this came down to was the coaching matchup. In one corner, you have Super Bowl champion Doug Peterson, and in the other corner, you got always going for it on fourth down in the wrong moment, Brandon Staley. So from that standpoint, Jacksonville has been on a tear this last month, especially the game against Dallas. That was the game that kind of 
woke everybody up and said Jacksonville may have something here. So you want a stat? Here you go. The Chargers are last in the league, giving up 5.4 yards per carry to their opponents. And then you say, okay, they're bad, they're bad against the run. Maybe they're good against the pass. They're number 21 against the pass. So maybe not so much. Uh, Jacksonville's not much better, or actually they're a little worse. They're number 22. Um, but the Chargers are also bottom five in rushing attempts per game because they got this dude named Justin Herbert, and they just say, throw 200 passes every week and we'll find a way to win. And, you know, he's always at the top of the league in passing attempts. Playoffs kind of slow down a little bit, you know, so I wonder how that's going to work. They have the long trip traveling across the country and not just traveling across the country, but traveling across and down to Florida. So, you know, there's a lot, that's a lot to go on, but what the Chargers can do, what the Chargers can do, this is by no means a slam dunk. The Chargers have to disguise their coverages because Trevor Lawrence is pretty good at reading the defense, audibly out knowing what's going on. So the Chargers have to play cat and mouse. They have to show them a little bit of bait. And then once the play gets close to starting or once the snap actually happens, somebody has to do something that he's not anticipating. Because if not, he could just dink and dunk you death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. So, so you know, so from that standpoint, the other thing I don't like for the Chargers, Mike Williams with the back injury. You know, he has not practiced this week. And I just feel like, and I know I don't want to sound insensitive here, but I feel like every time I watch a Charger game, somebody important gets hurt. Their wives always hurt. Yeah, there's somebody always hurt, you and know. There. Yes, the best ability is availability. Receivers, and then after December, none of them are there. Yeah, and last thing I'm going to throw out there real quick, the reason I call him Mr. Fourth Down going forward at the wrong time is I go back to last season against Las Vegas. See, I almost said Oakland against Las Vegas. The last game of the season, even a tie gets you into the playoffs, and he goes forward on fourth down in the third quarter at his own 21. Get stopped. It made no sense. It made no sense. I remember watching this thing like, I thought the screen was wrong. Like, <laughs> like I thought it was like it has to be third down. It has to be third down. There's no way. You, like what's the what? What's your incentive? Mm-hmm. Like if you're not gonna if you're not on a scoring drive and if you're on a scoring drive more likely you don't get the fourth down. Mm-hmm. You don't get to the like when you're on a scoring drive it's first down second down maybe you convert third down easy and you and you move right. You and convert fourth and one or fourth and two from the twenty three you still got seventy yards to go. Like, but then it's, but then in overtime. He just let the Raiders run the clock down. And, you know, like after the game, there were Raider players, the Raiders interim coach at the time. He was saying we were almost perfectly content to go with the tie because with a tie, they both get in anyway. So it was just one of those things. Which where I, I didn't like that because me and my son talked about that the other day. I'm like, I think that's not a wise move. This shit is gone for the win. Like, no, I, I agree. Know, I agree. Why would you even mention after like because you, you obviously lined up for the field goal. Because if right. you really were content with going with the tie, you would have taken another knee, let the clock run out, and gone about your business. Well, I think it was just one of those things where I'm not letting they, the they were run. there to take the field goal. Like it was like here, it's right here, so they just took it, you know. But um, but also, but, but also, but also this season, because I don't want to live in the past. So this season as well, at Paul Brown Stadium in Cleveland, you know, uh, the dog pound. Um, you know, they had a fourth down with about a minute 14 left. You know, they were winning by two. 
and they went forward on fourth down at the 46. They didn't get it. Cleveland bailed them out because they missed a 54-yard field goal. So in that moment, the defense stepped up. But why put your defense in that situation? Because, you know, I trust my defense. I knew my defense would go out there and get a stop if we needed, but I really felt like we didn't convert on. Mike, you can't have both feelings. <laughs> yes, correct. He came out and said, I really, I really thought we had a good play call, and we we're going to make this happen. But I knew our defense would make this stop. Like, why would you even – like, there was no need to do that. But Correct, correct. But so what you got? I still got LA. I got LA because Justin Herbert will make the throw that gets him in a scoring position when they had no business being in it. Because it's a toss-up game. I think Vegas. I think the odds makers and Vegas have it as, as, as a as a pickle. Mm-hmm. Like the the odds is each team winning is like one's like fifty point. Three percent, and the other one's like forty-nine point seven, or it's fifty-fifty. So it's a toss-up. So I'm going with the guy I think will make the playoff play to get him in position to score. Staley, yes, I personally think he should just keep playing the way he plays and calls the way he calls because it's, if his hypothetically says jobs on the line because all the fourth down calls over the last couple of years, why go into this playoff game? and lose and they fire you because Sean Payton, you know, happens to be in LA and wants to get an interview. Mm-hmm. It's go out. You go out swing. You play to win the game. You play your game. And I think you play well. Considering it's a toss-up, you got Trevor Lawrence, his first bit of success since Clemson. Um, even though I've always thought he looked like an NFL quarterback, there's something about the way he drops back, sees the route combination, and he just lets it go. You know, some quarterbacks, you can tell they're looking to see if is this safety going to make it over? Is this linebacker? He's like, no. My guy's supposed to be here on this curl route. I'm letting it go. Justin Herbert's the same way. So I think I think that when it, when it comes down to it, it's going to be a sequence of plays where Justin Herbert rolls out and makes the ridiculous 30-yard back shoulder throw, 15 seconds left in the second quarter to get him in field goal range. They go on a halftime up 10-7 versus tied at set. You know, something, something along those lines. I just have that. I have the faith in the playmakers. I know coaching does matter. You can tell differently. Urban Meyer, Coach Jaguars versus Doug Peterson, Coach Jaguars. But in the same sense, playmakers on the field making plays. And I think Justin Herbert is one of those guys that just he tries and succeeds at making the play in spite of the, some of the decisions by his coach. So, so, so let's pause for a second. So Chargers lose this game. Staley's out, you're thinking? What I think is that the same way you and I hear what the media talks about, the GMs and these offices and these player personnel people, they hear the same thing. You know, we're educated men. We're smart. We learn. We can understand these things. So they're hearing that stuff. They're hearing the murmurs. They're hearing that Sean Payton's available. And he's like the shiny new penny. Like what they say, everyone's favorite player is a backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's like you think, you know, that all the cliches, the grass is green on the other side, you know, all those, all those, you know, cliches that you hear all the time. Sean Payton being this this hot commodity that's out there and available, and it's about five coaching openings right now, probably six. You figure one of these playoff coaches potentially could lose their job. 
Vrabel hasn't, they haven't made a decision on him in Tennessee. He might be up on the chopping block. So it's a, it's a few coaches that Matt LaFleur might, might be on the chopping block. So I think there's a lot of options. So if you're L.A. and you lose this weekend, you got to make a decision on Staley. If you want to keep him, I wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me if they kept him on. Because I think, I think he's done a good job. All right, one last question before we move on. One last question before we move on. Did I just fall asleep at some point to wake up to find out that Sean Payton won three Super Bowls or something? Like I said, you know, my, <laughs> my last, it's it just it's just simply the your what you have currently is what you have, and right. it's the best of what you have available. But something else crossed your path. It's like, whoa, that <laughs> sounds like something. Because if you think about his time in New Orleans, it's it's not really – it's not the, – the resume isn't that impressive. That's what I'm saying. And he had Drew Brees, Drew Brees the whole time. Yeah. Drew Brees and the Super Bowl onside kick. I mean, you point – and then you got Reggie Bush the year before when he caught a little screen pass and shook Erlock out of his cleats and scored a touchdown. Now, those two years, that post-Katrina run, that was it. But it was a few 5 and 11 years mixed in there, too, with Drew Brees healthy for mm-hmm. 16 because I was thinking about this, and like I said, I don't want to spend too, I don't want to spend too much time on it right now. I don't want to spend too much I don't want to spend too much time on it right now. But because I was thinking, like, well, maybe I would like Harbaugh. You know, like I mean, he doesn't have the Super Bowl ring, but you know what he did with San Francisco. Going to Indiana. All right, fair enough. You know, so what's next? Yeah, we got Minnesota, Chicago, or Minnesota Giants. Excuse me. Yeah, Minnesota and New Jersey. Okay. So, I will, full disclosure, everybody, full disclosure, Raph will tell you, I literally changed my pick right before we started this. Like, the, I, the I have no idea. Now, what I do know is that they just played on Christmas Eve, and it came down to a 61-yard field goal during Minnesota's whiteout. You know, suddenly they turned into Penn State or something for a day. What shocked me about going back to that game was the Giants compiled 448 yards, total yards that game. And it took me back because, as you can see, my team played against them twice, and I was like, what? Minnesota's defense is not good. But this is the thing. So Minnesota's secondary. I'm going to get their rank. Keep going. But I'm just, I'm gonna right. Minnesota's secondary. I don't know how to say it other than just to say they're slow. You know, they got Patrick Peterson, but – this ain't Patrick Peterson from, you know, eight years ago or whatever. They're slow. The Giants have a lot of speed at wide receiver. Maybe not the best receivers per se. Maybe not pro bowlers or people that you really check for. You know, Darius Slayton and Richie James Jr. But I've heard that Richie James saved some people fantasy season. So maybe I'm off on that one. <laughs> but what I do, but what I do like for the Giants is my guy. I am the only stand in the world for a Dory Jackson. That's my guy from USC. You know, like he's been, yeah, he's been practicing this week. You know, he had the knee injury, missed the last seven games. If he comes back, that might change a little bit of something because now you got more options when it comes to trying to corral Justin Jefferson because, believe me, you will have to corral Justin Jefferson. Minnesota, on the other hand, is 8-1 and one at home this year. You know, Real quick, you know the one loss? 
Was that the Dallas? That was the Dallas game, 40-3, to because both of these teams combined make the first matchup in NFL history that both teams have a negative point differential. How about that? So now you want to know why I had trouble picking this game. That's why. So my motto for this game, if I'm Jersey, is run, Forrest, run. And by Forrest, I mean Danny Dimes. Run Daniel Jones. You know, Minnesota is going to be slow to react. That secondary, as I mentioned, is slow. You may find yourself two to three plays where he can get eight to nine yards, keep the drive alive. They were down 30 nothing to Indianapolis. Yep, 100%. And, And like I said, they just played on Christmas Eve. So the Giants have tape on Minnesota. You know, even though Minnesota has won games this year, Nobody believes in them. Nobody. And part of that has to do with my guy, my guy, KC8, as I like to call him. KC8, greater than RG3, Kirk Cousins. You know, that's my guy. But Kirk Cousins doesn't necessarily, he's not a playoff kind of guy sometimes. Like, you know, he, he has some duds. I can admit that, even though he's my guy. So with that being said, with that being said, I'm going to close my eyes. And I'm going to think about it again real quick. And I'm going to pick Minnesota 23-20. to 20 All right, yep. Locked because in. I just don't trust the Giants' offense enough to actually pull the trigger. Yeah, I got, uh, I got Minnesota 28-20. Playing at home. Division champs. I know the, the narrative around Kirk Cousins, he's not a primetime player. But I don't think they're playing at 8 o'clock. I think they're playing early in the day. So that might help. <laughs> KC8 don't come out at night. <laughs> so he's good to go. What, what time is their game? The game's at 4.30. That's not primetime, Kurt. That's 4.30, Kurt. You're good to go. Um, On top of that, I think Minnesota's philosophy and their players line up. There's no, there's no hole. So like they like to pass the ball. For some reason, Detroit traded Hawkinson in division. Never seen that, like at that level. I never, I wouldn't imagine the Patriots ever trading Gronk to Miami. Right. And, you know when Miami was hot because Minnesota was hot when they got it. They mm-hmm. were a good team. Mm-hmm. Their defense is like I said, still terrible. Then you got Jefferson. Green Bay had three dudes on them in most of those situations. They have the corner on them, linebacker, safety on top. It was like a straight line. Like, they were all trying to get his autograph. It, was, it had him stacked up. But Thielen sneaks in there on the backside. You have Osborne, makes plays. He's like a strong, like a, like a muscle hamster slot receiver, which is, you know, so Thielen basically gets, he can sneak through. Thielen gets a lot of touchdowns on, the, on that end line off the play action. Off the run action, because got Delvin Cook. So they'll run Thielen across the back of the end zone. Everybody's jumping to Delvin Cook play action, or they're jumping the Jefferson slant route or the little dig routes, whatever else he runs. And Thielen's just wide open, number 19. Yellow gloves, yellow cleats, wide open. Back of the end zone. So I think a couple of those plays will happen. TJ Hawkinson convert third downs. Kirk Cousins, I think he he, he he's a game manager with ultimate playmakers all around him. So it elevates his game management skills. 
Danny Dimes, I just don't trust that he's going to produce touchdowns. I think he's responsible for like maybe 22 touchdowns on the season. And that's rushing touchdowns and passing. That's one thing if you had a terrible record. But they were a winning team. You know, they were 6-1, 6-2. They made the playoffs. But your quarterback is only responsible for 22 touchdowns when he played all 17 games. And he didn't turn the ball over. So it wasn't like he was not getting touchdowns because he's turning the ball over. He's like he wasn't getting touchdowns because he wasn't trying to. They don't put them in a position to create touchdowns. And I just think that you get behind the eight ball against a team that's the firepower that Minnesota has. That you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to throw the ball and, and he doesn't have a high interception ratio, but he doesn't throw the ball that much. So we talked about, or I talked about, people not trusting Minnesota. Does Minnesota have a chance to win the NFC? Because you know I'm looking across the landscape here, right? And they were. Two or three? They are the three. But but the reason I asked that question, the reason I asked that question. That would get them San Francisco. Yes, yeah, they, they would likely get San Francisco next week. Obviously, you know, like, so, but then you get back into the Brock Purdy thing, the whole conversation about being a rookie again, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, like if I'm Minnesota, I don't necessarily feel that I can't beat a rookie quarterback. You know, I think where they might run into trouble is if they match up with Philly. But, you know, just just throwing it out there. Just asking the question. I because I. I think what Jimmy G did for San Francisco and what D. Will Samuel allows San Francisco to do is to just give you so many different rushing looks. It's, It's one thing where you line up, like, for instance, Tampa Bay lines up. They can only give you a couple of different looks, rushing-wise. You're not going to get Tom Brady with Fournette and another running back side-by-side and be like, man, I don't know what's going to happen here. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you know it's like either a check down or some kind of handoff or it's going to be a standard route and one of these guys is going to stay in the block. Like you, You're not going to get anything tricky. You put... Debo Samuel, Brock Purdy, and Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. And then you got Brent Ayuk coming in motion. Man, you have no idea what could happen in that play. It could be a snap, touch pass. It could be a snap, RPO, touch pass, Ayuk's in the flat. Like, you have no idea. And that pass, because it's so tricky, defense has to pause. And that gives Purdy an extra second to make the simple read. The read is to get the ball to Ayuk in the flat. The play action freezes the linebacker. You get the ball to him in the flat. Not a playmaker gets you 17 yards. So he's one for one on his passes, but he's one for one for 17 yards. And then now everyone comes up, and they get Kittle one-on-one, boom, boom, boom. So I think Minnesota would struggle there. I think they'll be the Giants. Mm-hmm. I think any matchup, if they have the matchup, with uh, San Francisco next week is like that's that's what they're gonna do. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Bengals and Ravens, and I don't know why. The last few days, a couple of things have been bugging me. This is random. I'm gonna get to the game, but just 
I don't know. It bugs me when people say Jaguar. And it, bu- it bugs me when I look at the word and it looks like Bengal and people say Bangle. It just bothers me. I don't know why it just does. Well, but anyway. But anyway, on to the game. So, we talked a little bit pre-show and I gave you my score. So, Cincinnati 27 to 17. And you asked me, how's Baltimore going to get 17? points. Right. So this is what I got. Just roll with me here. Give me just bear with me. So I was doing a little reading today and I saw that Mr. Huntley, in addition to Lamar Jackson, Go hasn't, you. hasn't really been hasn't really been practicing. You know, he's he's got some tendonitis in the throwing shoulder. You know, they obviously sat him last week. So potentially we're looking at Anthony Brown starting again. So with that being said, if Anthony Brown starts, maybe they don't get the 17. Maybe they get the 13 again. But the reason why I think Baltimore could get to 17 is because Cincinnati is missing both their right guard and right tackle, potentially. So we're looking at Alex Kappa and Lael Collins, both injured. Does that free some pressure from Baltimore? Maybe get a strip sack, you know, maybe get a short field. Whatever the case may be, Baltimore may be able to run the ball a little bit on Cincinnati. Where Baltimore gets into trouble, their secondary just can't stop Joe Barrow. Joe Barrow's going to pick him apart, Razor Ramon style. Bad guy going to call you up. That's yeah, what's going to happen. Joe to Burrow's only averaged 215 yards in the two games they played this year. That's fine, you know, but the problem is, is that he got a guy called Jamar Chase you know, who defenses tend not to be able to cover. So I don't need him to throw for 300 yards. He could have 215 yards. I just need three touchdowns. (laughs) I'll take the touchdowns over the yards back to Danny Jones. I mean, uh, yeah, Daniel Jones, right? Like, you know, he doesn't get the touchdown production. He might get some yards, but Burrow, I don't need the yards. Just get me the touchdowns because Baltimore secondary is barbecue chicken. Now, (laughs) with that being said, even if somehow, by the grace of God, Lamar Jackson walks onto that field, it don't matter. He missed, the, he missed the last six games. You ain't coming back against Cincinnati, who there's a guy that you'll get to know later down the road. I call him Black Adam. And he always tells me, <laughs> you know Black Adam. <laughs> yes, he always tells me that when you're looking at these things and Buffalo has this great defense that Josh Allen gets extra credit for. My retort to that is, have you seen Cincinnati's defense lately? Oh, they're top five. Yeah. So, 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 so got it. He's an LSU fan, Joe Burrow, all that good stuff like that. Shout out black Adam, you know, but, but anyway, Back to the point, you know, um, if Lamar Jackson steps onto the field, he's missed the last six games. That's not the defense you want to come back against. You know, if they were playing Miami, one thing, you know, if they were playing, you know, Jacksonville, one thing, even though Jacksonville's defense is okay, but one thing, but putting him on the road at Cincinnati in the playoff division opponent that hates your guts already, that ain't the move. You know, he's rusty. They still don't have a lot of receivers that are worth the ground they walk on. Whatsoever. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, y'all. I'm just speaking figuratively and I'm passionate. It just happens that way. So no disrespect to the Ravens wide receivers. But it just is what it is. 
some teams have dynamic playmakers at the position and some teams don't. The Ravens, yeah. are one of them, they don't have a guy. They don't have a single guy in the wide receiver skill position that warrants a double team. Correct. And and, and that's where... Easy for a defensive coordinator when the favorite target is a tight end that you can bracket with the linebacker and the safety over the top. He's still going to get his catches, mm-hmm. but Mark and Andrews that's why beat you for on a 60-yard route. And that's why hopefully this week these Raven running backs been watching some Jamal Lewis tape, you know, because the game is going to rest on their shoulders. They need to keep Cincinnati off the field because even if Joe Burrow isn't getting a lot of yards, I just don't know if Baltimore's defense can get them off the field consistently enough. There's only so much energy you can have as a, as a human being when you show up to do your job. And yes. if you offense that's going to go three and out, most so many teams, you can't go into the game with a third-string quarterback against the top five defense and expect No, it. no. And even a second string if Huntley does play, you know, yeah. like – Huntley doesn't I mean, play well either. I watched him against Atlanta. He wasn't – Yeah, because, I mean, I, of course, you know, like you said, I got to say go Utes. But, you know, at, at some point something's got to give. If it was in Baltimore, maybe you give them a puncher's chance. But on the road in Cincinnati, again, I say 27-17, and that 17 might be a little generous, I admit. I think you're, you're generous. I got 24-13, but it's never in doubt. And 24-13, Cincinnati just on the field, running the ball. Maybe they, you know, Ravens defense, solid defense has been the core since they moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. They've been a tough defensive team. But there's only so much defense you can play. Unless you can create points with your defense, like those early 2000 Ravens or the the, the Joe Flacco, Ed Reed. Ray yeah, I was going to say Ed Reed ain't walking through that door. Yeah, like if you can create, like, all right, now you get the ball back at the 32, you get a single first down, you get a, you know, cheap field goal, then you get another stop. Like, if you're not generating those kind of plays, then I, I, can't, I can't imagine them getting up to 17 points. Unless it's, like, legit Mixon tips the ball in the air on the screen pass, and somebody just happens to come through, pick it, and, and run it back. But if Zach Taylor's smart, he's like, listen, we're not, we have an advantage because we're playing the arguably the second best quarterback in the league versus their third best quarterback on their team. Why put us in a position where we won't be able to succeed? We have these running backs, P. Ryan, uh, Mixon, yeah, solid tight ends. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and then you got Joe Burrow. So that's your advantage. Even with even with the guards that are out, you mix it up. You figure out okay, how do we how do we attack this coming downhill? You lean on the Baltimore defense because you know their offense isn't going to do anything. It's going to be so many three and outs. I'm going to say their first five drives, I got four points, four points in the turnover. So 24 to 13, you say? 24 to 13. The 13 is generous. All right, well check it out. Do you happen to remember the score when they just played a few days ago? I can't remember, but I know it, it was, wasn't. It was 27 to 13, and, you know, and that was with the third stringer. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, it might be repeating itself, you know, uh, but we'll see. I think once they had it sewn up, it was like, all right, they went vanilla. Mm-hmm. They probably ran cover two on defense and then just rest the passer, stay in the passing lane. And then they have to time you down with those wide receivers, and the wide receivers aren't dynamic. Mm-hmm. Something has something in any position to be successful in the NFL. Somebody you have to be dynamic somewhere 
mm-hmm. on each side of the ball. So you have to have elite linebacker play, elite secondary, and elite pass rush, something. You have to have that. And you can be average and good other places, but you got to be elite somewhere. Right. Anywhere you're going to be one of these average teams that stub, stumble your way to eight or nine wins. In Baltimore's case, they got the 10. <laughs> and shout out to Roquan Smith for getting that money. Yeah, big shout out to Roquan Smith so they can uh, go ahead and franchise tag Lamar. Mm-hmm. For two years. For two of them. He going he gonna to be on the Kirk Cousin plan. Yeah, he gonna be in, he gonna be in New York with Hopkins and Derrick Henry. I would love, no disrespect, I would love to see him on South Beach. Ooh. Fastest offense ever? I don't, I don't know, I don't know. You know, so how do you make like how do you who who broaches that conversation? Does Miami call Baltimore? Does they call? Because Lamar can he walk? I, I mean, um, give up a first round pick, right? I mean, my yeah. I mean, Miami's quarterback can walk, but it come it might come with a little stumble. Pick <laughs> right? Although they traded away to Denver, didn't they? They did. Yes, they did. Yep, yep. But you know, I didn't intend it. But perfect segue. Buffalo in Miami. Hey, we're not gonna talk about this for long. Oh yes, we are. Cause I uh, found the secret. I I searched deep and wide got, on. You got the Miami beating Buffalo secret. Yes, I found it. I found it. I'm all ears. All right. You get about 12 inches of snow and Josh Allen gets stuck and can't make it to the stadium. You know, so that's your secret right there. Move it. They move it to Monday. We got a whole nother day. <laughs> no. Um, no. Unless you lock him in his hotel room. No, I have no secret. I have no secret. <laughs> because, you know, at one point, I thought Miami may start Teddy Bridgewater at least. And I was like, still don't got the secret, but... I can make it competitive, you know, but now that Skylar Thompson is playing the front office run around here in the NFL with two wide receivers run four, two, something, four, three, something. And you don't have a quarterback that can throw it 65 yards in the air. Yeah. That's all you need. One thing I want to say though. So, so this is the problem, right? Cause when Tua played against Buffalo, they went one and one, and both games were one score games. Yeah, but one game, Buffalo had the ball for 70% of the game. I know. Hey, a and win is a win. They just didn't run out of bounds. A win is a win. A win is a win, but <laughs> like, you can get hey. Dominic in the boxing match for 11 rounds and catch a dude on the chin. He'd be like, well, I beat him. Like, well, he was beating you for 33 minutes. Is that a shot at Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury? Nah, anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, no, but 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 Miami has to has to run to the perimeter. I don't think they can just run at Buffalo, like just run straight into them. They have to hit the perimeters. That's where Cheetah comes in. You you just have to get creative with the play calling. Hey, they used to have Ronnie Brown and run that Wildcat. Maybe you run something with Tyree. I don't know. You got to cheat your way to points, turnovers, punt returns, something along those lines. But the other part of that is that you got to get Buffalo to punt first. In the English, what you're telling me is that uh, Miami, who has a third-string quarterback, the rookie head coach, an owner that's still trying to get Tom Brady on boats and signing contracts, are just going to show up in January, go up to upstate New York, and run swing passes 
screens and beat the number three. Reverses, baby, reverses. <laughs> all I got 12. for you, all I got for you. They can play with 12 men on the field. That'd be their only advantage. All I got for you is 28 to 10 Buffalo. And that might be generous that Buffalo only scores 28 because they're going to get a lot of possessions. I'm going to bet on Buffalo. They're going to get a lot of possessions. They're going to get a lot of them because Miami's going to punt, punt, punt. It's going to be like, it's literally going to be like the Denver Cincinnati, or the, the, the Cincinnati Baltimore game. It's, it's going to be a carbon copy. This game, literally. Second best quarterback, arguably with Josh Allen, going up against a team with a third string quarterback. And the defense has no, yeah, you got Tyreek Hill. He's fast. Waddles, fast. Kasiki's in the middle. You know he only has like one touchdown catch. <laughs> like so, you have a quarterback. Like so, like Mike McDaniel's. Everyone's talking about he's, he's a great coach. You know he's a good young coach, and he had Miami rolling. But I'm like, how do you have black a black coach? Blackish. <laughs> Miami blackish. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll ingratiate him. Hey, but you know, but you know, uh, Mostert is fast. You know, Jeff Wilson is fast. Miami yeah, got they're all fast, but you know, but I don't. Mostert is hurt though. The, the simple Gasicki should have more touchdowns. I didn't think I think Tyreek Hill only has like four or five touchdowns on a year. Well, Tyreek Hill was getting a lot of yards and like he was only getting them on his own. He had touchdowns early in the season because initially, you know, Justin Jefferson got it's close to breaking. Team. Justin I mean, Jefferson got close to breaking that single season record, but we forget Tyreek Hill was actually on that pace for the first five or six games of the season and. People were saying he should be in the MVP conversation. But like you said. Like, wide receivers are going to make that conversation. I'm, 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 I'm not going to, like you said, we're not going to spend too much time on that one. We may have spent enough already. But, you know, like, we got to give you the content. You know, like, I got to give you the scenarios. Got to get the people what they want. We're not like some fans only talk about two teams. Yeah, I got to give you the scenarios, you know. But with that said, like I said, 28 to 10 with a whole lot of punts. But. It, it wouldn't surprise me if this was the NFL version as close as you can get to TCU in Georgia. Oh, that game was brutal. I mean, I called it. I didn't call. I didn't call 58 points. Shout out to Black Adam again. You know, his rank and my rank ain't the same, you know. But, yeah, so Monday night, you know, Monday night, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Monday night playoff game. I'm so like, upset that it's a Monday night game. It's the only reason it's a Monday night game because they want to showcase Tom Brady and the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I mean, they to could, be fair, to be you fair. You would watch the football game anyway. It could have came on tonight we would have watched it. It's to not be like fair, to be fair, to be fair, we did have a Monday night playoff game last year, to be fair. And it was the Cardinals and the Rams. So let's be fair. Like, yes. I'm I'll, sure that's the reason. I'll come down off my. Uh, I'm sure that's the reason they picked this game to be the Monday night game for everything you just said. So disclaimer, everybody, disclaimer, disclaimer. I don't watch First Take or Undisputed, and the reason that I don't watch those shows is not because I don't like the shows, and it's not because I don't like the people. It's because of days like Tuesday morning after this Monday night game. Tuesday morning? You mean today? You mean this morning when they were talking about it, or yesterday? No, morning? I mean, I mean the day after the game takes oh, the place. Day, or, or the three days before the game, because I watched it today on my lunch break, and the topic was somebody, somebody had ranked the top quarterbacks one through fourteen in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes one, 
I think they had Justin Herbert two, rolling down the list, Tom Brady was nine. So the segment was about the nine or the, the quarterbacks ranked. They got to nine and they spent about 19 minutes talking about nine. It got to the point I was like I was cooking my lunch. The go. I looked over, I'm like I thought it was a I thought it was a, I thought it switched because I was watching you. I thought it switched to Tom Brady segment. And I you know, listen, I'm a fan of greatness. I respect it, but I do think they treat the Dallas Cowboys as if no one watches any other football games. I had two sons play football. I've watched so many youth football games over the last six or seven years. I went and scouted some other football games. We went to championship games. My son wasn't in. We watched football. I went to arena football games. I had a friend playing one of those. We, as Americans who like football, we go watch football. So if you were to put Jacksonville and Los Angeles on Monday night, people were going to watch that game because we want to know who's going on to the next round. You're not going to get more people watching that game as if there's so many more Cowboys fans than just regular football fans. So I mean that that's just that's just my piece. Maybe okay. there's math to it that says okay, you know you're wrong. We the needle moves even more. But yeah, keep mind Monday night. What what time's that game? Is it a night game? We pull it up real quick. Yeah, it's, it's got to be you know the eight eight thirty slot. I would think. I gotta go to work. Eastern on, time, of course. You know. I'm on the East Coast. That game goes off at eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not. Like I get it. You want to. You it's wanna, the goat. What if it's the goat's last game? Then cool. I can watch it at six thirty. Hey, I'd have been good with that because I got Monday off. I want to chill on Monday. It doesn't work like that. But with that being said, week one, nineteen to three, Tampa Bay wins against Dallas. I don't know how Dallas. I don't know how they they have these kind of games. You know, that, that game in week one was such a long time ago. So there can't be anything to pull from that game that would be relevant for this game. Or is there? That game. Or is there? So I was I was thinking Tampa Bay is not a good running team. You know, they're somewhere near the bottom. Probably, I think, if I remember correctly, they're last, you know, in Russia. And that game was on 8-15 Monday night. See what I'm saying? This is the thing, though. This is the thing, though. As bad as Tampa Bay is running the ball, in that game way back in week one, Mr. Fournette, 21 carries and 127 yards. I'm not calling the Russian game the X Factor because I said that already for some other games, but the X Factor for this game is Mr. Micah Parsons. Dallas needs to rush Tom Brady because if you go back to those old school Raven Patriots games, just getting in Tom Brady's face is enough for him to just throw the ball on the ground, give up a play or two. Uh, Dallas has a problem on their end at quarterback. You know, um, this guy, Dakota Rain Prescott, this guy missed Mr. five games this season. And guess what? He led the league in interceptions. And the other guy ain't got a job. How that work? You know, so with that being said, with that being said, 
I hate stats like this, but I'm going to just throw it out there. We talked about it pre-show. He love these stats. Don't listen to this. I don't love the stats. I, I love one of the stats. I love one of the stats. I don't love this one. I don't love this one. Tom Brady is 7-0 against Dallas. That's all I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to break it down because he played for another team for, like, at least five of those, you know. So we ain't going to go there. That's just a thing that I should say if I'm being diligent. But anyway, the stat that I do like is Dak Prescott has not won a road playoff game yet. Now, he hasn't played very many. He's only played one that I can remember off the top of my head, which was the game against the Rams. You know, but he hasn't won a road playoff game nonetheless. Going into the pirate ship. Was that? I thought they beat Seattle back in the day. That was at home. Oh, that was a game at home. Okay. Yeah, that was at home. So that's so that's what I'm saying. It's hard to put stock into it because it's a small sample size. I'm just stating it as a matter of fact that he has not won a road playoff game. I don't know how that works. Like, is he going to go in there, maybe have some jitters? Does he know that he hasn't won a road playoff? Like those type of things. The mental side. He's of it. Someone brought it up. Yeah, the, the the mental side of the game. But what helps Dallas is Mr. Vanderesh is back at practice. So if he can play then that's another body that you have to worry about that could potentially free Micah Parsons. You know, Lawrence is practicing. So Dallas's defense is maybe getting intact. You know, um, in that game in week one, Micah Parsons had five pressures along with two sacks. That's why I named him the X Factor, because he has to get pressure. He doesn't have to sack Tom Brady. He doesn't have to hit Tom Brady. He just has to be present in Tom Brady's space. You know, they can win this game. Tampa Bay can win this game. this game. And it shouldn't be that. They, if you told me one team was 12 and 5 and second in their division and all four teams in their division were in contention for playoff spots, to shows you how tough their division was. And they were in contention for, for the one seed last week. Yeah. Versus a team that everybody in their division is under 500 and it was mathematically possible. At week 18, or week yeah, week 18, that all four of those teams could have been 79. So, I mean, like, you're talking about mediocre and terrible, but yet the team that won that, they won the division at 8-9. They have wow. a chance at beating them. And this is a stat that I don't know how much, you know, how much uh, you want to factor into this, but this year. Go for it. Go for it. Dallas is 12-5, right? Correct. They are eleven and one on turf. They're one and four on grass. I like that one. I like that one. So that's I'm one that caught my eye. Can Tom Brady and Tampa Bay can they get the twenty points easy? Not like not like get to twenty points and it's like a struggle. You're just grinding out. But can they like put together an eight, nine, ten play drive, first possession, get a touchdown? Hold them, well, get a punt, come down, be up 10 0. Because I think being up two possessions in, in a football game is, 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 that really sets the tone because just if you get two long drives, and that's the thing that Tom Brady did in New England, it wasn't that they were just out there. The Randy Moss years, yeah, they were out there beating you, you know, like they was Georgia and TCU. They were, they were beating the brakes off of NFL teams. It was ridiculous. But a lot of those years, man, Tom Brady just were like, you know what, we're going to 12-play drive. We eat up six and a half minutes, 
and we're going to get a touchdown to one of these tight ends, you know, Gronk or Hernandez, or we're going to get Wes Walker or Edelman or one of these, one of these little guys, we're going to get a little touchdown. We're going to run a little, maybe a little, little screen with Falk or something. We're going, we're going to get a touchdown after this 12-play drive. Then our defense, that's just been sitting there waiting to get on the field, gets out there and get a three and out. Because you get the other offense, they come out and get three and out. Tom Brady gets the ball back, they get a field goal, and they have 10-0. Now you're down double di- Double digits, two possessions to Tom Brady to go. Now you start doing things like going forward on fourth and three. Indianapolis trick plays, stuff that you shouldn't do. Kellen Moore calls a very bland game. Mike Evans said today, he's like, he's like, they're a simple team. He's like, they line up and just say, hey, I think my 11 can beat your 11. I, well, I didn't think it was a shot at Dallas, but. What happens is if you play that simple, I can beat you with my 11, but in the first couple of possessions, you know, you're down 10-0, 13-7 at that, you know, a half. Like the game against uh, the Commanders last week. I turned the game on, it started the second half. I think the score was 13-6 Commanders. I think Dallas had the ball. I'm like, okay, this is, this way you lean on the two running backs. You got two big tight ends. You have C.D. Lamb. You have a very sturdy quarterback, calm under pressure, never seems to be rattled. But it's like, why does it look like your 12 wins felt like a struggle? Like your season, you got you went 12 and 5. I think Kansas City went, what, 14 to 3? Yes. So you're only a couple of games off of them, but they are clearly way up here. And me and you are having a real conversation about an eight and nine team beating you and offering evidence to support that. It's, it's just it's just weird that you put yourself in a position as a team to where Tom Brady is talking to the Buccaneers players, Leftwood just talking to these guys, Sabo is talking to these guys, telling them that you can beat them even though they, they have four more wins than you. Well, this is the problem that I have with this game and why it's so hard for me to pick. Because you know, back in the day, March Madness used to have the last 10 games. You know, that was a big factor on whether you got into the tournament or not. And these last couple of games, Dallas has looked awful. But they're still 5-2 and two in the last seven games. I know, but they've pretty- looked awful. Whereas, they still whereas, whereas Tampa, these last two to three games, the yeah. offense has woken yeah. up. No. Now, granted, granted, not against the best competition, Carolina. not against the best competition, they had but nonetheless, Carolina, that was it. Yeah, it, they they woke up, and Mike Evans, you one. know, Mike Evans said, "I'm back," you know, what I'm saying. But anyway, they were playing a man to man straight up. Like you can't do that with a guy that big. That ain't his fault. That's not, that's <laughs> like you can't just be like, "Yeah, we're gonna play cover one and see what happens." Because Dallas, that's what Dallas does. Cover one with with the robber. So you bring the linebacker, you bring the safety down in the box. And you just hope, not hope, you expect your front four to get their pressure. You expect your linebacker core to to be in passing lanes. Well, on grass, you're not as fast. And your boy Diggs. Feast or famine. If he's in cover one, that means his eyes should be on the man. Because he's a man-to-man. Cover one means he's a man-to-man defense. Feast or famine. And he's going to be looking back. And Godwin's going to hit him with a double move. Or Evans is gonna just gonna run. No post move, no wiggle, just go, run the go route. Or they're gonna right. slip middle out of the slot, and someone's gonna be looking back, 
and now you gave him a cheap touchdown. All right, so this is what I got. I closed my eyes. I visioned the world where the Cowboys lose, and I got so happy. But then it kicked in, and I said, there's just certain teams in sports. Dallas Cowboys, the New York Yankees, the Duke Blue Devils, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. You start counting them out. Not in the championship scenario because they don't win championships per se. But, right. but, but you count them out and you look up and they win a game and you go, how the hell did they win that game? So no, no, no astute analysis. Dallas 28 to 24. You got 24 points for Tampa Bay. I do. But it's more of a byproduct of Dallas. Back throwing them one. Back throwing them one, giving them a short field. You know, Brady, like, you know, you brought up Herbert making a play, like, at the end of a half or something, stealing some points or something. You know, Brady in a hurry-up situation, you know. And that two-minute offense, he just left, which turns the mic off. <laughs> thing over his face. Tom not listening to him. Oh, oh, oh! He not listening to the black coach. Not listening. How <laughs> much Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Yeah, I got Dallas twenty eight twenty one. Just because I think you gotta, if you're a coach on a Dallas staff, Tampa Bay's terrible against the run. They can't run the ball. Run the ball, control the clock, take your shots when you get them. Win the game. 21 is a stretch because uh, on the season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have scored less points than the Chicago Bears. So 21 is a stretch. But like I said, that cover covered one. Uh, Diggs looking in the backfield. I could see Evans running right by him for, you know, like the way he ran by uh, Ramsey last year in the playoff game. Just every, you know, just just one slips through, but yeah, twenty-eight, twenty. Dallas wins, and they're comfortable. I think it's comfortable all game. I don't think, I don't think it's a situation where it's they're pressing. I think Tampa Bay gets their twenty-first point, four minutes left in the game. And, and and that's the thing. Speaking of pressing, Tampa loves to press with those corners. You know, you know. So we're gonna see. Something rubber got to meet the road. You know. If, more just would call some screen passes for his running backs. You got two of them. I had a I had a over under. I had a parlay early this year. Zeke to get eleven and a half yards receiving. This in this in this passing league where you don't want to just keep handing the ball to the running back. You got I think Cooper Rush was the quarterback. Right. So you got a young quarter like basically a. a Second string quarterback, a backup quarterback is entire. Went to a Mac school. Went to a Mac school. You're like, you know what? Let's keep it simple. Let's dump it off to these playmakers. I'm like, okay, cool. Drop. He got two yards. He got two, two. No, I think he got nine yards. He got he caught yeah. two little passes. One was a check down. One was a little. One was a screen pass. I got caught. I think he got seven yards on that. And then a check down. He got two, two and a half. So I missed that parlay by um, by two yards because, like I said, Kellen Moore's playbook. Like Mike, not, not that we're endorsing betting, y'all. We're not endorsing gambling. I do not. Uh, I'm not a gambling advisor. Do not follow my lead. But if you want to gamble, have a little fun with it, man. It's a little adrenaline. 
So you mentioned you mentioned uh, Tom Brady not listening to the black coach. So uh, let's talk about these black coaches for a second. Black coaches, where they at? They are in the NBA. (laughs) They are in the NBA. And they're in the NBA because the black players in the NBA utilize every bit of their leverage, even to their detriment sometimes, i.e. telling the GM to trade for this player, and then they get there, and it's like, mm, this doesn't work. No, nah, man, we'll make it work. We've been friends for years, and then it doesn't work. Now you got to see how you can move $48 million contracts. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so check it out. So obviously, Sean McVay is the youngest coach to win a Super Bowl. Who is the second youngest? Mike Tomlin? Mike Tomlin. And what caught me when I was looking back at this subject, you know, once we figured out we were going to talk about it, I didn't realize that him and Tony Dungy's Super Bowls were two years apart. You know, that they won them. Further apart? Yeah, I thought they were further apart because sometimes it's hard to realize that Mike Tomlin has been coaching so long. Yeah, I think he's, I think he just finished 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Never been under 500. I didn't have one gray hair when he started coaching. Man, I was a sprite to go running. Yeah, you know. Just go running. And so, so when I looked back at it, you know, it made me go a little bit further back. And I landed on Art Shell. You know, um, Raider great, Raider legend, you know, and so I wanted to start with him because he was around late, you know, 89, 90 starting out. So that's more of like your modern era. Like you have people that go back to the 20s, you know, like I found a Frederick Pollard back in 1921 who coached the Akron pros of the American Professional Football Association. But I figured that wasn't relevant to this conversation. But uh, so Art Shell. Had a 56, has a 56 and 52 career record as a head coach. He made the AFC championship game in 1990. His overall record with the, I'm confused if they were Oakland or LA Raiders, was uh, 54 and 38, right? Um, he got fired in 1994. So he coached there for five years, made an AFC championship game, 54 and 38 record. And the season that he got fired, they went nine and seven. Al Davis came out and said, quote, I made a mistake. Art Shell came back a second time to the Raiders. Went two and 14. Got fired, you know. <laughs> so his overall record was ended up being. Don't 56. go back. Don't go back. His, ended, go back. his record ended up being 56 and 52 which is still, by my calculation, not a math major, but it is a winning record, Yeah, you know, with a championship game appearance. So, like, I was thinking about that, and I was trying to think if I could think of coaches that were – I'll just stick with the 54 and 38. I was trying to think of coaches who had a record similar to that that lost their job. And – I'm sure they exist, but nothing stands out. I can't I can't think of someone short of Jimmy Johnson. Which was just politics, really. Like he didn't get fired because he, of performance. He did wrong with Jerry. 
Right. It wasn't performance related. But right. then I started but then I started looking at uh Tony Dungy. And then I landed on this man made the NFC championship game. And then before I could blink, John Gruden was winning a Super Bowl with his team. And oh, by the way, winning the Super Bowl by defeating his former team that he had left. And rumor has it that they felt like the Bill Callahan tailored the game plan to Tampa Bay's defensive strengths. Yes. It was like, felt like we changed a lot up. Yeah, because we got a guy with some picks in that game that won Super Bowl MVP that, like, wasn't necessarily, you know, that guy, you know. But but when, yeah. I, look at, but when I look at it, you know, that was, like, a moment in time. I didn't want to do the whole, like, this happened, so black coaches got screwed. You know, I didn't want to do that. Even though that is a situation of a black coach getting screwed, I didn't want to do that. So then I went on to Steve Wilkes, more recent, you know, three and 13, his first year with the Cardinals. So I ain't even trying to sell you that, you know, he went eight and eight or something and got wrongfully canned. But what I will say is if you take over a team and they go three and 13, they were probably bad in the first place. Correct. But then what got me about that, and this is where I want you to chime in because we talked about this slightly. Um, I want you to expand on your point a little bit. This is where Klingsbury came in. You know, they were like, hey, we can get Kyler Murray. We can get Klingsbury. Whereas young, younger Mike Wilson sat back and said, this man didn't even compete for a conference title with Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech and got fired yeah, from Texas Tech. With the five foot eight quarterback and succeed. Explain it to me. I don't get it. Short of not being in these rooms, only thing I can think of is that Handsome guy, over six feet tall, used to play quarterback, was in the league as a backup quarterback, probably had some friends, probably had friends in, in different places and different rooms. And that's that's part of it. I okay. think you don't get you don't get the black coach in a lot of these rooms. Mm-hmm. First of all, a lot of them aren't quarterbacks. There's very few former uh, black coaches that were NFL quarterbacks. Like Mike Tomlin, I don't think he played in the league. He said he tried. He was like, man, this is one for me. He was like, I can coach it. He was like, I just couldn't play it. Tony Dungy was, I think he was a quarterback in college, but he ended up playing corner when he got to the league. I believe Herm Edwards was a defensive player. Yeah, he was a defensive back, yep. Famous play against the uh, Giants with the, the, you know, the, the Neil. Lens, uh, Neil the ball, yep. So you have... You just have like this this narrative. It's the same thing in the NBA where a lot of coaches they feel like, oh, former point guards make great coaches. So in the NBA, you can say, well, these are all the great point guards and a lot of them are black. So this narrative that quarterbacks make great head coaches, it's not a lot of them that are black. So you can get these quarterbacks in the room and your narrative narrative can simply be, oh, good qu- quarterbacks make good head coaches. You got McConnell and 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 Minnesota right now, kind of proving that like mediocre quarterbacks can be good coaches. They tried to get to get one of the McCown guys from the high school in Texas to coach the Texans. So you just you're just in different rooms. So throughout your entire career as a quarterback, you're in different rooms. You're shaking hands with different GMs. You're the ambassador for the team. You're going you're going to all these meetings. So you just kind of get exposed differently. 
and not to do the cowboy, not to do the cowboy thing, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Jason Garrett. Um, you know, but I think what got me, I think what got me, one of one of the coaching hires that got me. Shout out to Fred. Y'all will meet Fred at some point too. Shout out to Fred. What got me was Joe Judge. You know, I was like, hold up, y'all just hired a wide receiver coach as your head coach. Like mm-hmm. No, no, he wasn't even a wide receiver coach. Special teams or something. Special teams. Yeah, just because he farted. He was in the same room. Yeah, he, yeah, he was just around Bill Belichick and like you know maybe had a cigar with him once or twice, and and that and that brought me down. I was in the rabbit hole. That brought me down to Brian Flores, you know, and how he he was winning in Miami. You know, they didn't make the playoffs because other teams had a better record, I guess, but he had winning records and just didn't make the playoffs. And it was known that it was worst kept secret that he didn't want Tua. You know, so he never even got to get a quarterback, I guess, that he supported. But now I don't know how to feel because they hired a black coach anyway, Mike McDaniel. You know, I I can't even get mad about that. See, the thing, Mike McDaniel's, Yes, it's, it's a black coach per <laughs> whatever 23andMe DNA thing. Like I said, my, my kids are, are half each side of the, uh, the the spectrum. But if if you didn't say that, if you had him in the room, you mm-hmm. would just, he was your standard run in the white guy. And I'm not saying just because you're white, you're getting these jobs. And I'm right. not saying if you're black, you're not getting these jobs. But what happens is the access to certain one of these rooms. That's why they use that 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 the, the, the statement. Eric Benamy doesn't interview well because it's like he either he doesn't relate, or they don't like the way he talks. They don't like his vernacular. They don't like his if he's. They don't like maybe he's not as well spoken, which is commonly something that happens. You and I did 20 plus years in our career. You can tell a lot of times you're sitting in certain situations where because we're articulate, because we're intelligent, because we speak the way we do, that there was an ease that you bring to a room full of uh, like white executives, you know, upper management. We're like, oh, Sergeant Wilson's a good guy. Sergeant Wilson's a good guy. I like him. I like him. I like him. Even they start saying it publicly. They don't say it as much. Now you say about Obama. He speaks so well, like like reading. Yeah, Joe Biden even called him clean. Just, just things of that nature. So I think what happens is a lot of black coaches don't get in those rooms. Mm-hmm. But then also, black coaches are taking bad jobs because they have to take a job because they're not offered the Brooklyn Nets job. They get through Orlando Magic's job. You got to take it. And they'll fire you. They'll hire a white coach and they'll fire him too. But the teams don't get any better. So love you, Smith. You had to take the Houston job. David Culley had to take the Houston job. David Culley had no business being a head coach of any team. Ever. Wasn't he was probably okay. not put for it at all. But then no question. bad team job. Clingsbury, the thing that he gets is because he's in those rooms, he gets the team that has the number one draft pick, Chuck Pagano. You you fire the black dude and you bring in a coach. Well, I'm gonna get to him. Because he had one, he has a number one pick. So a quick question, you, quick question. You get there with some optimism. Quick question. Do you think Byron Leftwich, with what went down with Jacksonville 
and him not getting that job last year and him demanding the GM and all that. Do you think that comes back to bite him in future job attempts? In theory, you'd think it would. Mm -hmm. But I think the Tampa Bay offense was so bad this year, I can't see him being high on a lot of people's lists. And if he is high on somebody's list, he's high on Denver's list. I don't think that's a good job. He'd be high on Houston's list. I don't think that's a good job. He'd be high on maybe Indy's list. I'm not sure if that's a good job. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes, you know, we have these bridge quarterbacks. I think sometimes they use black coaches as bridge coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, whoever comes to Houston next year, they got the second pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. They're going to get a good coach. Denver, I don't know when they can get off of Russell Wilson's contract. But they're not going to bring in Sean Payton. Sean Payton's not taking that job because he knows he's like, I'm not taking this job with very little draft capital. Mm-hmm. So somebody like D'Amico Ryan is going to get that job. Mm-hmm. They're going to go 5-12 and 12 next year. You know, and, they, and then whenever they get their picks back, so he'll get two years, i.e. Anthony Lynn. You get the pick. Good one. Good one. You get to try it out for a little bit. And they're like, well, give him a shot. And then they bring another guy in. I don't think it's all racism. I just think is that the fraternity that some of these white coaches grow up in in the league, it just extends that branch, even if it's mediocre, i.e. the Belichick tree. It's a mediocre, even with Romeo Canellan, it's a mediocre branch. Well, I, I agree. I agree partially with that. But I think that the room existing to some degree spawned from racism, you know, like because we got to remember, you know, 60s and 70s weren't that long ago, relatively speaking, you know. Um, so, so, you know, a lot of these rooms were created when it was an only room. You know, you couldn't be in that room. So, like, it's a domino effect of not being able to have access to those rooms. You know, and that's why I wanted to take a second while we were talking about this. You know, I wanted to, like, look at this because I was looking at NBC Sports and they did a rundown of the Andy Reid coaching tree because you brought up Belichick's coaching tree. And um, on that Andy Reid coaching tree, you know, we have Leslie Frazier, we have Todd Bowles, and uh, the one that stood out to me, even though he ain't black, was Ron Rivera, you know, obviously because that just happens to be my head coach. So anyway, um, so Perfect. Andy Reid, you know, but then when you brought up Enemy, that's where I start to kind of looking at the tree again, right? And I see Sean McDermott. You know, John Harbaugh, successful. You know, uh, McDermott hasn't won a Super Bowl yet, but it may come. It might be this year. But then I see Matt Nagy, you know, or Nagy, I'm not even sure. Uh, then, then you got Brad Childress and Pat Shermer that also came from that tree. And uh, the last one is Spagnuolo. I know you remember him. So so all of these guys came from Andy Reid's tree. They all got these chances. But with the enemy. It's so odd because everybody talked about, and I forgot Doug Peterson, but, but, you know, but everybody, it's odd because Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson is 
known as an offensive dude that like, you know, he's innovative, all that kind of stuff like that. Nagy got a job because of his perceived offensive prowess. But then when you but then but then when you come back to be enemy, I always hear white people say, Well, Andy Reid calls the plays. We all know that being enemy calls the plays. Well, well, it's it's just one of those things. Like, like so Andy Reid didn't call the plays for any of these other coaches that went on to not be successful. Well, B enemy also has some stuff in his past. He's got some skeletons in the closet. But those skeletons are over 22 years old. So at some point, at some point, you know, the dude was 20 or, you know, in his 20s or whatever. Like, let's get past whatever, you know. I ain't going to speculate, okay. but, you know, I've read some things. One second. Give me one second. All right. We'll edit this in post-production. <laughs> Brief intermission. <laughs> but but yeah, it's just odd that, you know, Andy Reid wasn't calling the plays until B enemy was the offensive coordinator. Like that's just odd that people feel that way. And I don't know what Ty Haley got a job out of the Yep. The tree from the Andy Reid tree. Yeah, so so that's why I don't I don't know where this comes from and where I'm not saying it's racism per se, but it may be prejudice. I don't know, because I was reading an article about the concussion, the lawsuits that the former players were filing. And the quote that I saw was very damning, which, you know, comes back to maybe how they view coaches. And the quote was that the black paraphrasing that the black players should not get as much money because they use less brain capacity. You know, so, 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 like that makes me wonder how much of that seeps into the way the owners think. Cause, you know, you look at teams like the Cowboys, not picking on the Cowboys. I know I could do that all day, but not trying to pick on them. It's just yeah. a fact. It's just a fact. They haven't had a black coach, you know. Um, hell, the Giants. Giants haven't. And, and, and not only that, but the Giants have only started one quarter, one black quarterback in their history. You know, you remember that one? 
Was that Gino? Did he? That was Gino. That was Gino. And then you know that that was that broke Eli's Iron Man streak. I thought they started like the other kid, um, Davis something. Davis Webb or whatever he is. Or, yeah, Webb. You know, Webb uh, Kevin Gilbride should have been a head coach. And he right, that might have came later, but yeah. Um, they fired Coffin. You know, so so so, but when so when I look at it, it's just something that seems to be prevalent in that sport. Because when I look at college basketball, for example, you know, there's a little bit more black coaches. As a matter of fact, I got something for you. When it comes to college basketball, give me a second. Get back to my notes real quick. So when I look at college basketball, you know, as of No, this is the wrong one. Sorry. Um, my update. Here we go. Let's see if this is the one. Oh, no. I think I lost my stat. All right. Well, I'll come back to that, but this is a stat that I picked up from Chris Bumbaka, hopefully I said that correctly, of USA Today, and this is as of September 2022. So this is NFL coaches, not just head coaches, but just coaches all together. So of the 722 on-field coaches in the NFL this season, 314 or 43.5% identify as non-white, which is the biggest figure in NFL history for that, for non-white coaches that are on the field. So the coaches are there. You know, there's people, like, maybe not necessarily within a tree, so to speak, but there's people around that, that are available. Hopefully in the next 10 years, we see some improvement there, you know, where – you know, um, in college football, you know, 131 FBS schools, soon to be 133, soon to be 133. Um, there, as of December 18th, so just before Christmas, so this does not take into account probably who's been fired and all that stuff, but there were 15 black coaches at those 131 schools, or if you want more math, 11.45% of the FBS coaches are black. So do you think there's a correlation, the same correlation from the NFL to college as far as the clubs and the good old boy network and the rooms and all that stuff? I think the college ranks, the best football players, best college football players come from a certain region of our country that's been um, embattled with that uh, racial, segregated, anti-Black history down south between Texas, Galway East, and then south down to Florida. That's where the bulk of your best football players come from. Then you have California. I think they rank third. It goes like Florida, Texas, California. But for the most part, that, that piece in the middle, in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, all these other states, so they don't mind the black athlete winning, wearing a uniform and winning 
but it seems as if there's rarely an opportunity for those elite football programs down south to have a black coach. LSU had Ed Ogeron, who could barely talk. I couldn't understand a single word he said. Didn't that remind you of Joe, Joe Dirt? Homie, where you make it, boy? Just uh, <laughs> that old from that, that bayou, got that lingo. You know, I know, I know. Oh, that was actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but it wasn't a matter of like, oh, this person isn't articulate enough. They don't speak the language. We can't take them to country clubs. Yada, 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 yada. I think a lot of it is a slave plantation owner worker kind of mentality and i think it just it as a black coach you can get that vibe and you don't want to have to deal with it and i think flores is probably a prime example he's like man i'm not dealing with this mainly because especially when you're winning when you're winning you think that's your leverage mm-hmm. putting a good product on the field i'm selling out the stadium all the time you fire him after they go nine and eight last year. If they started slow, go nine and eight. Now you bring in this other guy. What if they started zero and seven? Now you've got this new stadium, seventy thousand seats, and you're only selling forty-two thousand tickets, fifty thousand tickets. Now you're giving away tickets so you don't get blacked out on the the local uh, television because the NFL will black you out if your stadium's not packed. They won't put you on TV. So, so they, what was so what was Miami's record this year? I think they ended the year nine and eight. There you go. So was his nine and eight different or even example of Dan well, Campbell? It was, his I nine think, and eight versus Carl Wall's nine and seven. Well, I think it was different just in the aspect of how they won where, you know, he obviously didn't I, have Tyreek Hill. He obviously right, didn't have Tyreek Hill. season versus guys who started off hot and tailed off. Yeah, well, well, I was just going to say, I was just going to say it looked different because Flores' specialty was defense, you know, whereas McDaniel, I guess, brings an exciting brand of offense. But, I mean, he also had Tyreek Hill to put beside. And they still had a five-game winning streak. Even yeah. Though that, yeah. They had, like, a three-game winning streak, three-game losing streak, five-game winning streak, five-game losing streak. Right. That's how their season went. Right. So... so I- so I found my stat, you know, um, so I wanted to just go back for a second because we talked about Tomlin winning the Super Bowl and Tony Dungy. So those are the only two black coaches that have won a Super Bowl in the NFL. In FBS college football, there are zero. In college basketball, there are. There is. Well, yes. So there is uh, John Thompson. You know, Georgetown fame, you know, growing up, I thought Georgetown was at HBCU because he kept it like that. You know, uh, Nolan Richardson, Nolan Richardson and his 40 minutes of hell down in Arkansas. I just love watching them play. Yes. Tubby Smith from my Kentucky Wildcats. And then Kevin Ollie, that good old UConn that beat my Kentucky Wildcats to get his title. You know, uh, so those are your four. But with college basketball, it's a little different. He has two. In women's basketball, she's only she's only coach of color. Ain't that something? Championships. Yeah, so so you know it, the reason that I got stuck on that is because you know a lot of people measure success by championships, but in college basketball it's a little rougher because you know you got to go on a six game tear at the right time, one and done. So I went back and looked at some 
coaches that I think we could all agree are successful, you know, so like coach Jim Beheim of Syracuse university fame, you know, maybe owes a little bit of, you know, hopefully he gives Carmelo's Christmas presents every year, you know, like hopefully that's the thing. But yeah, but, but Mr. Beheim, no disrespect, one title in 44 years, uh, Bobby Knight, when he wasn't throwing chairs, he was winning. He was winning three national titles over the course of 29 years. So that's over nine years per title. And then you say, well, hey, well, Coach K won a lot. Like, well, yeah, like he won five titles in 41 years. So one title every eight years. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not knocking any of them because Coach K still had a bunch of sweet 16s and final fours in there. But I'm just using the measure of winning championships. So this is not a moment where I'm trying to trash successful dudes. I'm just making a point that if you're firing a black coach because he didn't get you a championship or he didn't get you a final four, the best of the best, not including John Wooden, but not, you know, the best of the best, those are the clips they were winning at. They don't get, they don't, they don't win at that high rate either. Right. You know, and then in the NBA, just to put the cherry on top, in the NBA, we have six black coaches that have won titles. So Bill Russell, of course, you know, he won all the titles. Like, if he was the water boy, he'd have a title. You know, just, that man just won titles. You know, uh, Lenny Wilkins, you know, who brought the only championship to Seattle. You know, Doc overrated. His mama named him Glenn Rivers. You know, with the, as Raphael Rutley will say, as this podcast goes on, you will hear him talk about that 2008 Boston team. The, and Boston, how, three, the Boston three party. Yes, that all that championship has got them so much notoriety that we're still talking man, about them. Building, man, they had a 10-year anniversary Instagram post a few weeks ago, yes. a few years ago. Like, yes, you got uh, Tyron Lou. You'll hear Raphael Rutley talk about that one, too, because in case you didn't know, he a big old LeBron fan. He a big old LeBron fan. Triple-double, man. You know, so 3-1, there you go. NBA history right there. You know, you got, uh, let's see, you got Jones. I can't can't remember if that was Sam or KC, but that was the Boston Celtics in 84 and 86. You know, so that was the Larry, you know, some of the Larry Bird titles, you know, and then... The last one was a coach for the Warriors by the name of Adels in 1975. So those were the six NBA champion black coaches. But when you look back at it, that league, I guess, by design, like you mentioned earlier, they I don't know if they have measures in place to hire black coaches, but I guess to some degree it just makes sense. Because, like, you know, you got people like Ime Udoka, you know, who – um, is of Nigerian descent, so not necessarily American black per se. Um, he got a chance with Boston, took him to the finals last year. Obviously, we know what happened after that. But 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 you know, but it but but, but overall, it just shows that if you hire a black coach, if you hire a white coach, you know whatever the case may be, as long as you hire a good coach, you have a chance to win. If you hire a bad coach, you ain't gonna win. Not at all. But the difference is that a lot you're of these white coaches get extra chances. Going to a bad organization, you're probably not going to win. Right. Be, so I don't like that's the thing. I don't think it's all race based, but I do think in certain sports, the black professionals involved in those sports can exercise their leverage, even in any professional environment associated with sports, better 
then they're going to get more stuff. Like Stephen A. Smith's contract with ESPN is probably pretty legit. It's probably on par with what Colin Cowherd gets with Fox Sports because he's he exercised that leverage. A lot of black coaches in the NBA get a lot of their jobs because their relationships with the players. NBA is 71.1% black, something like that, something along those lines. So if I'm a GM or an owner and I want to ensure that my team with seven out of ten players are black, I get the best out of them. If you have to hire a black person, then you do that. But if you consistently hire just if you pass up Ime Adoka to take the guy who's a statistician off the Spurs because he worked for Popovich and he called in a favor, and they're like, yo, we we can all see that Adoka's a better coach. Or if you do something so like hire Steve Nash. That was obvious. It was like, listen, not necessarily that he's white and he got got the position, but it's like there's more deserving coaches, period. And then in this in this heightened era where it's like, hey, we are highlighting that there are not as many black coaches in these leagues that are mathematically just the numbers of people in the league are mostly black. And your top superstars in these leagues are black. Mm-hmm. Like me and you talked about this. I try to explain it to someone. I'm like, imagine you woke up tomorrow and all the GMs and 80% of the coaches in the hockey were black. You'd be like, that looks weird. That looks odd. Why is it that the ice is full of some of the, the best white hockey players from Canada and around the world, but yet all the leadership is completely different? Completely different rooms. You're bringing in people. You're bringing in guys from local hockey leagues to be the president of personnel. You're bringing in guys from high school hockey teams to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine if I'm coaching the, my son goes to a high school, Northern High School hockey team, and the New Jersey Devils, because I went to college with the GM, they called me in to be a head coach, get an interview for a head coach. That sounds outrageous. It happened in the NFL last year. It like Jeff Saturday to me. Jeff Saturday got hired this season. And and if it wasn't for the media and people going nuts, the Texans would have hired a high school offensive. They would have. But Deion Sanders going from high school to HBCU is considered like, whoa, that's that's a reach. Right. So right, right. the way I try to get it's not necessarily just the skin tone. It's just the relatability and the relationships that people have within these organizations. Like so, if you're going to ignore that, then you're gonna get the backlash. I don't think every person that gets fired is because they're just, you're black, I'm sick of having you here. I don't think that's the case, but I do think there is a measure of we want to keep our people in place to ensure that this coaching coaching circle is successful, ensure that I get this other connection that I got from hiring. I hired your guy. Now, can we do this other thing together professionally? Right, and shout out to the Denver Broncos because not only did they interview Jim Codwell to potentially, you know, meet the Rooney rule, but they interviewed David Shaw as well from Stanford. So, you know, kudos to them for interviewing two black head coaches that we know about. Just you know, it, Sean Payton to be your head coach. And, 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 <laughs> Miami. But so I no. can't get out of here. I can't get out of here without bringing it up, you know, just from the standpoint uh, we talked about it slightly Um so, you know, best college football conference, the SEC, you know, uh, they had their first black coach in 2007. 
which was Sylvester Croom down at Mississippi State. He actually won SEC Coach of the Year, you know, um, in his third year. You know, didn't last too much longer after that. I don't know how you win SEC Coach of the Year at Mississippi State. You know, you don't keep your job for long after that, but that's a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, you also have James Franklin, who coached down at Bandy. You also had Derek Mason, who coached at Bandy. So, fat shouts to Bandy for hiring two black coaches. You know, Derek Mason has since been uh, defensive coordinator, you know, at least at Oklahoma State that I know of. Um, James Franklin obviously went on to go coach State Penn, uh, Penn State, you know, uh, for those uninitiated, you and know. I, and he got a $90 million extension. And he got a $90 million extension up in Happy Valley. You know, the University of Kentucky hired Joker Phillips, you know, as their head coach. Didn't last very long, but it just didn't go very well. He wasn't very successful. And then, and then that last coach brought us some entertainment because he had a dude by the name of Johnny Football, Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M, who just like the Boston Celtics in that championship, everybody celebrates that win over Alabama back in 2012 like it happened yesterday. You know, that that somehow, that's like Texas A&M's moment of fame is that one win against Alabama. But since then, he went to Arizona. It didn't work out very well. He ended up in the XFL. But side note, I did not know that he went to Purdue. But, uh, you know, so there were, so the reason I picked the SEC is because, one, it's the best conference in college football. Hear me, Black Adam? I said it. And then, <laughs> and then, and also, and also, it's the South, you know, so like Jim Crow, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. So, you know, um, I looked at a few other places. I'm not going to belabor this very much, but I'm just going to bring up a few names real quick. So obviously Colorado just hired Deion Sanders, who had more of a non-traditional rise, you know, to become the He's coach. Prime. He's prime time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Syracuse has Dino Babers, you know, my University of Maryland, the Terps, you know, I can't reach it. There you go. The Terps, you know, got Mike Loxley, who used to be on Nick Saban's staff, you know, because you asked that question earlier and I just remembered that. Um, so he came from Nick Saban, but also failed at New Mexico. So he got a second job because he went to the Nick Saban rehabilitation program, asked Lane Kiffin about it. And, you know, maybe Bill O'Brien will graduate from that as well. Go you back, know, um, work on the St. Nick, get hired again. Trevor Lawrence is offensive coordinator at Clemson. You know, that's another one. Is it Clemson or is it Clemson? I, you know, it's just one of those things. But um, Tony Elliott, office coordinator for Clemson, you know, um, had an awful situation this season with the three players getting killed and all that kind of stuff. But he came from Clemson and um, became the coach at UVA this year. You know, your old stomping grounds. And then yeah. the one and then the one that I wanted to hit on real quick is Marcus Freeman. From uh, Notre Dame, he took over for Brian Kelly. Now I didn't watch Brian Kelly over the course of his Notre Dame career. He's a great coach, won everywhere that he went. But I saw Brian Kelly lose to UConn at home. I saw him lose to South Florida at home. Marcus Freeman started out the season with a loss to Ohio State, and everybody said, "Fire him." You know what I'm saying? Same Ohio State that was in the college football playoff. Same Ohio State. Sixty percent of the five stars that. End up in the Big Ten, go to Ohio State. Yeah, same Ohio State that uh, got Marvin uh, Harrison. Oh, Harvin Marison Jr. We don't say that name. Uh, you know, same Ohio State that has C.J. Stroud, who is going to be the first or second pick 
at quarterback in the draft this year. He lost that game. They said, fire him. Now, it didn't help that he lost to Marshall the next week. <laughs> that didn't help. I admit that. But then, he, but then he went But then he went nine and two the rest of the way. You know, so, you know, and as of the last time I looked about three weeks ago, Notre Dame has the number three recruiting class coming into next season. That may change, you know, once signing day and all that hits. But as of right now, number three recruiting class. So the black coach can win. And especially to your point earlier about the jobs, he got Notre Dame. You know, you got to be pretty bad, Charlie Weiss, to mess it up at Notre Dame. Yo, he was terrible. Yeah. Pants was a problem. You can't wear your pants like, like that close to your nipples and think you're going to be a successful. <laughs> yeah, Sylvester Cruz. You, you look Sylvester. too buttoned up. You got to loosen up, man. You gotta, yeah, he, he was not good. He was, yeah, he was, what if Sylvester Cruz went to Auburn instead of Mississippi State? I don't know if that changes anything, but that goes back to the point of James Franklin at Vanderbilt. You know, like, these are the jobs. Mike Loxley at New Mexico, like, what do you want from me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, so the black coach, like, I think it's a little more racial than you do, but not racial in the sense that white people wake up and say, I just don't want to hire a black coach. I don't think it's that simple. Like you said, I think it's just familiarity, you know, people that they know, people that like, like, I tell you, I tell you, you know, I ain't trying to go there, but I'm just making a point. You ain't seeing loyalty until you see them Filipinos come out for a Pacquiao fight. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just want somebody that look like you. That's it. To support. you. Those Mexicans come out for Canelo. Boxing thrived on the, the, the white heavyweight versus black heavyweight matchup throughout the 80s and 90s. They lived off of that. They so- just Especially if you had a white guy from like Boston or Rhode Island or something. Right, right. So I don't want to say leprechauns and everything else would come out and then Tyson go out there and annihilate him or Riddick Bowe go out there and annihilate him and we go back to, you know, life as normal. They've made a movie about it, Great White Hype. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Like, like, I think people just, I think when people hear race and have conversations about race, they they think it's just so negative and it's taboo. Like, no, it's not taboo. Some some of the stuff is just in your face. You know what? the biggest problem I have with the NFL is that we all see, we all see what a poor job Josh McDaniels does. We all see how he reneged in Indianapolis, and then he gets another job and he he does a poor job and they get rid of the quarterback. We all we all knew that you wanted to hire a high school wide receiver coach to be your head coach in Houston. We all like these reports came out. Cliff Kingsbury came from Texas at five and seven. Now suddenly he's going to Arizona with number one draft pick. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett sat next to Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur while they came up with a game plan and got a job and ended up getting fired. You know, so uh, Pete Carroll was getting investigated at USC. They was like, hey, man, come on up to PCH to Seattle. We'll take and care hey, of you. And Jim Harbaugh is getting Jim investigated Harbaugh right now. Across Lake Superior to go to the other side of Indiana. Yeah. I mean, Steve Wilkes would have probably liked that number one draft pick, you know, because they drafted Josh Rosen that year before, like he might want to do over and have Kyler Murray instead of Josh Rosen, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I thought Josh Rosen was going to be good, but I'm just saying. I didn't think so. He, he was getting too many, uh, too many injuries in college. He was, college. He, he definitely a, was. Shoulder problem. Like those are, 
those aren't ankles. Ankles, you can, you know, you can fix that up. But if you're getting hit and getting injured in college, then you're not going to survive in the NFL if, if you're just getting injured that much off of hits. But I just want to let people know, at the risk of sounding woke, because you know that's the most overused buzzword nowadays. So, okay. so at the risk at the risk of saying, sounding woke, my daughter always tells me when she want to do something that I won't let her do, like go to her friend's house. It's cute because she's four. She says, Dad, the only way for me to not go there is to go there. So the only way to not talk about race is to talk about race. You know what I mean? Once we talk about it, seriously talk about it, not just passing or you got to hear me out because I got a microphone or something. Talk about it. And maybe some of these conversations go away. Some of these owners hire these coaches because, like, I think the owners want to win. You know what I mean? And in theory, you're going to hire the best person available for the job to win. That person may happen to be a black person. But if you're at the country club golfing with your buddy smoking a cigar, you may miss that black dude because he ain't at that country club with you. Yeah. If you're That's what I got. That's what I got. Like that in and of itself, if they're not having conversations about the hiring practices within the NFL based off of that event, then I don't know what's going to spark it. It may be something as simple as Roger Goodell works for the owners. Mm-hmm. Maybe nothing to do. The players can collectively bargain as much as they can, but they don't have the same leverage. The owners have so much leverage in the collective bargain, so you can't and you can't bargain for the coach because the coaches aren't in the players' union. It's the players. So the coach has to lobby on their own. And I prefer talk? baseball for my collective bargaining. Because all baseball parents are lawyers. You know, <laughs> baseball in America. You, know, uh, you can call your when you can call your dad or your uncle what he's because I, I truly believe that. And yes, and yes. because they hold out and get whatever they want. They, yeah. they can hold out on Monday by Thursday, ESPN's reporting the new deal. I'm yeah. like NFL. Yeah. NFL, NBA, they'll say, hey, we want 52% of the revenue. They're like, we'll give you 46. They're like, all right, we'll take it. Yeah, so so I heard, um, so I definitely don't think that this will be the last time we talk about this subject. Yeah. But I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor about you, and I heard that you got something you want to get off your chest. Championships are overrated. I think people ride them out. I think there's a catalyst to how you win a championship. I think there's a core reason why you win it. Then I think it's a bunch of people who just kind of live off of it. It's like the uh, growing up in a tough neighborhood. Like, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from Compton. I'm from this part of Dallas. I'm from this part of Florida. And like everyone talks about it. Like, listen, like Joe Budden said, everybody's a killer. We're all the punks. Everybody can't be a killer. So you look at the 2008 Celtics. They won a championship. I respect it. And they went back a couple years later. Respect it. I told y'all. I told y'all. But the issue I have is they they literally have championship dinners and anniversary parties for themselves. It's like, I get that you won, but you won one championship after you built the super team. And then Every opportunity you get to shoot down somebody else who did that same concept better than you, you try. Paul Pierce knows he's not better than LeBron. Draymond told him in the game, like, listen, you think you'll get that fair right tour? You're not Kobe. 
Like you just, it just all championships aren't equal. You know, they they simply are. Brad Johnson has a a Super Bowl ring, so is Trent Dilfer. I I just want to know if James Posey and Eddie House get invited to these dinners. Eddie House is on TV, and the thing about it, Antoine Walker's on TV. Mm-hmm. Why? I'm not trying to be me. Why? Why are they on TV? Richard Sherman's on TV. Some of these people, Andrew Woodward's on TV. Tom Brady's, yeah, he has seven rings. Why is he on TV? Why is he going to be on TV? Oh, because he's in the Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP. They talk about Mike McCarthy. You know, he did win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, all, all I got to say about that is if I got to sit up here and listen to Eli and Peyton on a Monday night, you could listen to Tom Brady once a week. Listen, I like Eli. <laughs> I know you do. Home. They're doing the same thing you and I are doing now. I like the way they break down plays. But even Peyton's championships are a little. He had a. He I, had mean, a I think that's why I think. And that, the reason I say championships are overrated, not in the sense that I think people's accomplishments are overrated. But what happens is the regular season, whatever sport you play, baseball, 162 games, NFL, 17 games, NBA, 82 games. That's where you show that you're a better player than these other players. I get that the playoff comes, and if you don't have a good enough team, Bradley Bill does not have a good enough team to make a deep run in the playoffs. But that doesn't mean skill for skill, he's not just as good as Luka. See what I mean? First of all, <laughs> first of all, yes, Black Brad is not as good as Luka, but anyway. Whole nother conversation. So, you know, I got something I want to get off my chest, too. And you'll learn, America, I have a lot of things to get off my chest. And I struggled because I wanted to yell about the NFL talking about the neutral site down in Atlanta if Buffalo and Kansas City play each other. So I'll save that for another day just in case that game happens. But what is on my mind is exposure and how important it can be to college football or any sport in general. But I'm going to focus on college football. So, you know, out West, you got the USC Trojans. And then nobody cares about anybody else from out there. You know, maybe Oregon because they got the Nike money. But outside of that, nobody cares about UCLA football. Nobody cares about the Arizona schools. We love Utah because we were fortunate enough to live there. You know, but nobody cares about Utah on the grand scale. You know, but what people care about, what people care about is prime time. What got me upset today is that I was reading about how Deion Sanders let word out that in week zero, which is the week before week one, so week zero you have these six to ten games of just like this year, the best game was Northwestern against uh, Nebraska in Ireland. So whatever. The rest of the games were like Illinois, Wyoming teams playing, FCS schools, so on and so forth. Well, Dion let it be known that there was a potential that Colorado would play against Arizona State, who also has a brand new coach, who was the offensive coordinator for Oregon this past season, who resurrected Bo Nix's career, Kenny Dillingham. So the word on the street is the Pac-12 got wind that Dion leaked this, and now that may go away and not be a thing anymore. So Pac-12. The only time people talk about you is when they say there ain't going to be a Pac-12 team in the playoffs. That's it. They talk about USC maybe, but they ain't talk about USC recently until Caleb Williams got there. Lincoln Wright. Oh, you get the Rose Bowl. You know, 
So you had a chance to not only capitalize off of Dion Star, but you had a chance for a young coach that's younger than Sean McVay was when he took the Rams job to get exposure at Arizona State, who whenever I read articles about sleeping college football is usually at the top of the list. You had a chance to make that game. For example, this year in in uh, in in that first week of the season, we got Florida State and LSU on Sunday night. We got Clemson and Georgia Tech on Monday night. Nobody wanted to see that Clemson-Georgia Tech game but Clemson fans. Clemson, Clemson, whatever. Point being, I like to call them Cousin Clemens because they like my – they're my little they're my little cousin that like just ain't a little bit right in the head, cousin Clemens. But I digress. Point being, this was your chance to take over the national stage because Dion has been shoved down our throat positively and negatively since he took this job. Big debates. Because Dion may have leaked that everything leaks. I'm watching the NFL draft and I get the pick. When it's still three minutes on the clock if I'm on Twitter. <laughs> and you're mad because he may have leaked to someone, hey, we're going to play in week zero against the Sun Devils. You know, like, literally, I sit there and, big wrestling fan, I apologize, but I can find out what's going to happen on SmackDown that airs on Friday right now. And you're mad at Dion because he told somebody in ESPN or Power or whatever that they were going to play Arizona State in zero week. Pac-12, you dropped the ball. You are the GOAT with the lowercase g. <laughs> because you had the ability to get prime time in this game because everybody wants to see prime time. Like, if you're a supporter... You want to see how he's going to do. If you're a detractor, you want to see how he's going to do. And you're going to use that one game either way to decide if you were right or wrong. You got this guy. He can't beat Arizona State. Or, yeah, he beat him, but it's Arizona State with a rookie head coach. And, and guess what? And guess what? Any five-star recruits from Florida. They got these guys with the, from the school. It all it all sets a tone to where people are talking because that's it. That's how you get the TV deal. And guess what? In case people have been living under a rock for the last year, we only have one more season left with UCLA and USC in the Pac-12. Going to the Big Ten, I just, I'm just, just go ahead and just divide the country up into fours. Can, can we just build something without those two schools? I mean, granted, there's rumors that you might bring in San Diego State so you can get the Southern California markets back, but with USC and UCLA moving out the door, can we create something? to make me want to watch a Pac-12 game in the future? Because the Herb will tell you straight up. He talks about USC because that's what you want. But USC ain't an option no more for the Pac-12. Dion is supposed to carry that flag right now. And you just screwed him out of an exposure one-off game on network TV because he was excited and told somebody about it. That's what I had to get off my chest. But the game can't happen. It's just stupid, man. It's just stupid. You know, but we'll come back to that uh, neutral site game down in Atlanta because I don't even know if I'm more mad that it's a neutral site game or the fact that it's in Atlanta. It's way too far. No offense. You know, and with, especially I, I haven't looked at the logistics. Maybe there was a concert, but 
Indianapolis is perfect distance for both. You know, if you want to get a the most of their fans as you could possibly get. It's a dome. Because you're it's not going to football fans from Atlanta because Atlanta can't sell that stadium out. You know, so, I mean. Bunch of red seats. You know, but I'll, I'll attack that another day. But, you know, just to let you know, these are the things that are on my chest. So. Well, there, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Coming to the end of our first show. Thank you, America. Thank you, America, for listening. Stay tuned. We'll continue to do this as long as there's air in my lungs and his. Just and a couple where you of find veterans. him, you will find me. Just a couple of veterans talking sports. There you go. All right. We'll talk to y'all soon, America. Love ya. Sports is ordered. Signing out.